Well, we're starting a new series today called People Joining Jesus because that's what we do, right? In fact, our mission statement here at LifePoint Church is we join people seeking purpose and we offer life through Jesus Christ. And so what we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna take a look at three lives. We're gonna take a look at uh, the sinner woman, as I call it. Some of you may refer to her as the, 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 the prostitute woman, the woman of prostitution. We're gonna take a look at Zacchaeus, and to be honest with you, we're gonna take a look at our lives. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at this woman that often is referred to as this prostitute. And we're go what we're gonna discover is the power that, that worship does in, in our life, how it transforms our kind of understanding who, of who God is, our understanding of who we are, and then uh, our understanding of others. Then next week, we're gonna take a look at Zacchaeus and we're gonna see the value and the significance of our lives. And then hopefully I'm gonna pull those two thoughts together on August 21st, which I don't want you to miss, which is, I'm just calling it Vision, Vision Sunday. And I just wanna sit back in my chair and I just wanna share my heart with you with what I believe God would have for us this coming year. And then we're gonna start off the, the year, August, I think it's 28th, in a series um, on fighting for our marriages, our families, uh, our friendships and our relationship with Jesus because I think we have to fight for those things in the culture that we live in. But today, we're gonna take a look at the power of transforming worship, the difference that worship can make in your life. And we're gonna do that by taking a look at a story of an encounter that two people had with Jesus. It was a worship encounter a worship encounter of two people who appear different from one another, but they're very similar. And what they had in common is that they were both untouchables. One was untouchable because of her unrighteousness. The other one was untouchable because of his self-righteousness. Let's jump into this story and take a look at what happens to these two individuals and how one of them is transformed through worship. Luke chapter seven, verse 36 through 39. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Two people, both of them untouchables, She's untouchable by holy people, by religious people, because of the nature of her sinfulness. But the Pharisee is also untouchable because he has made himself untouchable. He refuses to be touched by the world, by the brokenness of people, by the hopelessness that people have. Both of these people are sharing the same moment with Jesus, but only one of them is transformed and changed. The one that worships. 
And I want to start with the Pharisee because it's the Pharisee who, who invited Jesus over for dinner. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And most Pharisees, and you will find in this story, most Pharisees were anti-Jesus. Pharisees in those days were those who wanted to tell everybody else how to live their lives. Do you know anybody like that? Don't nudge them right now, okay? They were the ones who always wanted to tell you about all the rules, regulations, and rituals that you were not obeying. They like to be the ones who wag their finger of correction at you and tell you, you know what, you need to change. And to be honest, they were notorious for being hypocrites. And so this Pharisee invites Jesus over for a dinner engagement. And folks, it is not a friendly environment. During this dinner time, a woman, presumably uninvited, comes into the scene. Now, we don't know a lot about this woman. We don't know her name. We don't know how old she is. We don't know what she was wearing. We don't know where she lived. Folks, we don't know her story. All we know is what the Bible tells us of her, that she is a woman who lived a sinful life in that town, that her sinful life defined her but she's about ready to be redefined by forgiveness. In the story, she doesn't say anything, not one word, but she doesn't have to, does she? As we read the story, her actions speak louder than words. Now, I would have us know that most Bible scholars would refer to this woman as, the prostitute, as a prostitute, a harlot, a woman of the night, a woman who lived in the red light district. And that she was very rich. And she was rich because she brought this very expensive alabaster jar of perfume. We know from other stories in the Bible, in fact, of a different woman that she, this woman brought an alabaster jar of perfume and broke it open and poured it on Jesus' head and she was chewed out for doing so. Said, hey, do you realize that you could have sold that jar of perfume it's worth one year of a man's wages. Why in the world did you waste it on Jesus? And what in essence this woman was doing, she was preparing him for his burial. And so this gift that she is bringing, folks, is worth a lot of money. She is wealthy. Do you know what the average price, average income of a prostitute is in America? Not that I know it experientially, okay? I just looked it up on Google. <laughs> almost $60,000 a year. A high-end escort, almost $300,000 a year. In modern-day terms, this lady is a high-end escort. And the scholars would have you and I read this text like this. When a prostitute heard that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's home, but here's the problem with that interpretation. That's not what the text says. The Bible doesn't tell us what she did. It doesn't give us the juicy details of her life. And I'm going to tell you why at the very end of our message. And I'm going to have you write this down. But let's proceed. Let's proceed by me just saying this. I love the fact that it kind of leaves out that detail how God protects her privacy. Because when it comes to you and I, 
when we are being open and transparent before the Lord, when we are putting it all on the table, when we are telling God exactly what is going on and who we are in our life, it's comforting to know, is it not? that God doesn't write it down so that other people can know the juicy details of our life. Rather, he says, you know what? Forgiven and forgotten. And I share that because some of us really struggle, don't we? We struggle with our past. We struggle with all those encounters, all those things that we have done in our life, okay? And we're filled with guilt and condemnation. But I would have you know, if that is how you feel, it doesn't come from the Lord. It may come from other people that know the juicy, juicy details of your life that love to remind you of them. But I guarantee you this, it doesn't come from Jesus. So what other sins could she have been involved with? Again, like I said, the scholars would say, hey, hey when the prostitute heard that Jesus was eating at this Pharisee's house, she decided to show up, okay? But it could read when this woman who had been a, a town's thief, maybe that's how she got the money, to buy this expensive uh, jar of perfume. Or it could read that this woman who was the town drunk. Folks, I know a lot of rich drunks in this town. Or it could have read when this woman, this, this, this honest businesswoman came to this Pharisee's house, maybe that's how she got her money. Or it could have read when this woman who was a gossip and knew all the juicy details of everyone going in, uh, on in the city and was blackmailing people, maybe that's how she got the money. Folks, there's a lot of ways that this woman could have afforded this expensive jar of perfume. The, the point is this, we don't know, do we? But let's go with the scholars, okay? Because I'm, I'm just a Plano pastor. What does a Plano pastor know, okay? Let's just assume she is a prostitute, that she is a woman of the night, that she is a hooker, that she is an escort, making, in modern-day terms, 290 k annually. If that is the case, I don't know about you, but when I read a story like this, where in the world, where in the world did this prostitute come from? How in the world did she get into this dining room? How did she get there? I don't know about you, but when I read stories, okay, and I hope you do this in your Bible, when I read stories, I put myself into the story, not as the prostitute <laughs> and not as Jesus, okay, just as a dinner guest, right? And I put myself in the story and I begin imagining what it must have been like the people that were there. I mean, the smells that were going on, the food that was being served, hopefully no vegan type stuff. I mean, really meat and potatoes. And I mean, I just immerse myself. I, I let my mind take over. And so I ask you again, with that kind of framework, how did this woman get into this Pharisee's dining room if she really is a prostitute? The Pharisee, obviously, in the story, knows who she is because in the text it says, I know what kind of woman she is. And he's thinking to himself, and if Jesus were a prophet, I mean, he'd kind of know too, right? Again, remember, Pharisees are religious leaders 
And they were fairly wealthy. They oftentimes had the largest houses and they had servants to help them entertain their guests, which raises another issue. How did she get past the servants? How did she get past the honored guests that were there to show up behind Jesus? How did she get there? It begins to make me wonder if his servants knew who she was and maybe he was one of her customers. Maybe the servants weren't surprised when she showed up at the door. Hey, yeah, just go right on in. Right on past the guests and right behind Jesus. How did she get there? And how did she pull that off? But maybe we need to think about this coming in a different way. If she had not been invited there, welcomed as a guest to entertain, guess what? She's taking an enormous risk. Is she not showing up at this guy's house? She is. You see, I don't think she was showing up there to get another customer, to do another trick, to do some work. No, she showed up because she wanted to worship. The woman is a worshiper. And in a few moments, you're gonna see what results as she begins to worship. But before we go there, there's some things I think we can learn from her about worship. There's some things that we can learn on how you and I can worship and the kind of worship that is acceptable to the Lord, regardless of who we are and what we've done and who we have done it with. There are several lessons I think we learn here. And the first one is simply this. She worshiped boldly. I mean, think about this. She could have been sent away at the door. She could have been sent away by the other guests that were there. She could have been stoned to death by the holy man, the Pharisee, because she was in his house. When she showed up behind Jesus, Jesus could have turned around and said, oh my God, I am God, but oh my God, get out of here, okay? She came boldly. The, tie, the Bible tells us that she came there because she knew Jesus was there, meaning that she must have known some things about Jesus, maybe his message, maybe his miracle, maybe his message of love and acceptance and forgiveness, or maybe some of his miracles. When she showed up there, what was she expecting? Was she expecting to be rejected? Or was she looking for and hoping for true love and acceptance and forgiveness? I can tell you this, as you read this story, she wasn't there just paying homage to this holy man named Jesus. Folks, she was looking for something. And I think most of the world is. I think you and I are looking for things. I think the world is looking for hope more than anything else. We live in a hopeless world. People are looking for true love and acceptance. They're looking for peace. When I read this story, it makes me wonder why we came to Jesus when we did whenever that was. 
why we came to church for the very first time. What were we looking for? I heard some things about Jesus. I wonder if it's true. Were we looking for love? Were we looking for forgiveness? We were, were we looking for acceptance? And I think about other people who come to us. Is it not true that the, the, the living God, Jesus Christ himself, lives within us? Had a little discussion about that on Facebook this week with someone. And when they come and meet us, what are they expecting? Are, are they are they looking, what are they looking for? Are they looking for forgiveness and a second chance and acceptance? Or are they expecting to be rejected by those who are called Christ's followers? Just like this Pharisee would have done if Jesus hadn't jumped into the story. Folks, she worshiped boldly. The second thing we learn about worship from her is that she worshiped humbly. She worshiped humbly because the Bible says she stood behind Jesus weeping. In fact, she cried so much that Jesus' feet were soaking wet. She dried them with her hair, which means that she had to get down on her knees to dry his feet. You talk about humility. Folks, she's on her knees, not in front of Jesus. She's not even worthy. She's behind him. She makes this grand entrance into this room. I mean, she's noticed by everyone. She cries a, a, a bucket of tears. She dries his feet. What is going on here? Nothing but deep sorrow and deep humility. And whatever you do when you read this story, don't miss this. A sinful person is touching God in the flesh. Let me flip that. God has allowed himself in the flesh to be touched by a sinful person. That is a profound picture. The third thing that we learn about worship here is that she worshiped honestly. She worshiped honestly because the Bible says she brings an alabaster jar of perfume. I don't know if you know this, but an alabaster jar of perfume would be a tool of that woman's trade. In other words, everything about her is being presented to Jesus. Her sin, her failure, her lifestyle, her style of work, her wealth, her past. It's all being presented there in that gift and she's presenting it honestly. And by bringing that jar of perfume, you know what she's doing? She's confessing. This is who I am. And I'm bringing you this gift because it represents who I am because be honest with you, it's all that I am. She worshiped honestly. You see, in John 4, the Bible teaches us that true worshipers worship God in two ways, in spirit and in truth. In spirit in that they worship with their whole being, and we're gonna see that here in a moment, but they also worship in truth. They, they worship God for who he truly is, and then they worship God for who they truly are. True worshipers worship God boldly, they worship God humbly, they worship God honestly. 
And then the fourth thing that we learn about worship from this woman is that she worshiped extravagantly. And she worshiped extravagantly because the perfume was expensive. In other words, she gave it all. Folks, there's a lot of money involved in what she's doing here. It's interesting. You can Google this. The most expensive perfume. Do you know what it is in the world? It's called Imperial Majesty. It is 13 grand per ounce for a 16 ounce bottle, which you have to buy. It is like $215,000. You see, in today's terms, she's giving it all. She is pouring not just a drop or two on his feet. She's pouring the whole thing. It is an expensive, extravagant gift. And if you and I were there, we would have smelled the aroma of her offering. When I read this story, I think back at a time when Promise Keepers, I don't know if you remember Promise Keepers, but Promise Keepers was kind of a men's event, a men's gathering where men, godly or godly men would come together to be godly men and they would fill stadiums, I don't know, 50, 60, 70,000 for two or three days. And I can remember going to a number of those things. And at one of these events, after this event was over, guys started flooding the stage. And they were flooding the stage, not because they were asked to do that, but they came to the stage willingly. And what they began doing was throwing things on the stage. Things from their past. Drugs. Pornographic magazines. Pieces of paper with people's names on it. Pieces of paper with maybe a scent of theirs. They were throwing it on the stage, confessing. In essence, saying, God, guess what? I don't want this anymore in my life. And when I read this story, I think about that. But I also think about those guys, as did this woman. What they did first is that they worshiped first. And then they chose to give to God whatever was going on in their life. Here's my point. God doesn't tell us to clean up our act first before we come to him. Rather, he says, I want you to first come to me and I want you to worship. And then I will work in your life to change you. Folks, he invites us to worship. He invites us to be transformed, to begin the change process. And if you think about this, this is right in line with Romans chapter 12, where the apostle in Romans 12 says, I want you to first offer yourself, your bodies, yourself as an act of worship, and then God will transform you in the renewing of your mind. Let me put it this way as Christians because we're getting ready for the elements. We don't repent and confess in order to be forgiven. Rather, we repent and confess because we are already forgiven. And what we want is we want to experience that forgiveness. And guess what? God initiates it all. He initiates us. He initiates and calls us to worship like this woman, boldly, humbly, honestly, and extravagantly. 
to pour out our life in confession and then allow him to begin the transformation process. And again, at the end of the story, we're gonna see what that's like. But I'm sure we've all been there at one time or another, have we not? We've all looked at our life and we said, you know what, my life is a mess. I'm gonna turn to this person called Jesus. I'm gonna go back to church or I'm I'm gonna go to church, okay? And what we've discovered is as we did that and do that, God begins to change us. Some of us would say, yeah, I came and I surrendered in worship to Jesus. And he began changing my marriage. We're going to look at that. My family. We're going to look at that. My friendships. And even my relationship with with Christ himself. That's a transformation that we want, isn't it? We want to experience that. We want to find forgiveness and be transformed and start over. Folks, we're all looking for hope. But a Pharisee would say something different, wouldn't they? A Pharisee would have looked at that situation and said, hey, you can't come in here until you clean up your act. Folks, I hear people saying that. George, I haven't been in church in over a month or two, and it's, it's because I just didn't feel good, and I, just, I needed to get my life together first before I came back. And to be honest with you, I just want to slap those people silly. <laughs> you don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't operate that way. And so we come to worship boldly, humbly, um, honestly, extravagantly, and then we let him transform us. So what does this story say? Well, let me reread uh, verse 39. It says, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, he's saying to this, he's thinking this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He's saying if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is like I know what kind of woman this is, okay? What kind of woman did this Pharisee see? He saw one who needed judgment. What did Jesus see? One who needed for forgiveness. Big difference. The Pharisee says if Jesus was a prophet. In the very next verse, verse 40, we discover that Jesus not only knows the woman she is, but he knows the Pharisee that he was. And he tells a story and he asks a question to drive this point home. In verse 40 and following, it says this, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose. I always say, you suppose? Hello? I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Folks, Jesus tells this parable to make this point, that forgiveness and love go together. 
And notice in this story, he says there's one who had 500, owed 500 denarii, and the other owed just five denarii, and yet neither of the debtors could repay it. Guess what? I don't know what your debt is. I know what my debt is. My debt, I know, is a lot bigger than your debt because I know who I am, okay? But regardless, neither of us, whether we have a big debt or a little teeny small debt, neither of us can pay it off. Now, notice what happens in verse 44 and following. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Will you underline or circle that last phrase? He who has been forgiven little loves little. And I think you could flip that, could you not? He who has been forgiven much loves much. Let me ask you this. How much have you been forgiven? Before we go in and recognize what the Lord did for us in Elements, how much have you been forgiven? You see, the Pharisee was counting on his self-righteousness, his goodness. The woman was counting on God's mercy. When you and I understand how much we really owe God, you know what it does? It changes the way we love him. It changes our worship to him, and it deepens our love for him. Because he who has been forgiven much loves much. They love differently. If my love for God, on the other hand, is shallow, it only means I don't understand the depth of my sin and how much God really loves me. And let me tell you something else. When I fully understand the weight, the depth, the debt of my sin, it not only changes my expression of love to God and the depth of my love to God, but let me tell you what else it changes. It changes your view of other people. It changes your view of the community that God has placed you and I in and the people that are surround us, the people that are different from you and I. I don't care from the gender that they may claim to the color of their skin. It changes your perspective on people because he who has been forgiven much loves much. Now, Jesus does something very peculiar in this story. It's in verse 44, and will you underline this phrase? It took me an afternoon to finally get this. Jesus, it says, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, will you underline that phrase? What is going on here? Here this woman has made this grand entrance, okay? She's at Jesus' feet at this point in time. And she's at his feet because Jesus is reclining a table. Back then, they didn't sit at a table like you and I do at bistro tables or whatever kind of table in a chair. No, they would lean on their left side and they would eat with their right hand. 
Sorry for you left-handers out there, but that's just the way it is, okay? And this woman comes in. She cries a bucket of tears on his feet. She dries his feet with her hair. She pours not a drop or two of perfume, but the whole bottle of perfume on his feet. And Simon is watching all of this going on. Jesus knows what he's thinking. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the prophet, okay? And he tells Simon a story about two debtors to make a point about love and forgiveness and how they're tied together. And then he turns to this woman and he asks Simon a question. Do you see this woman? Now think about this. Obviously, he is aware that she is in the room. She just made a grand entrance and I, he didn't see her go out. He's aware that she's in this room. But Jesus asks an obvious question. Do you see this woman and what's the answer? No. He doesn't see her. And let me illustrate this. Let's say that you are the Pharisee. Not that I think that you are, okay? But that you are the Pharisee. And my hand here is Jesus. And this finger is the woman. What is happening here is Jesus is turning to the woman and asking Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see my finger right now? No, you don't. He's asking Simon, really a very obvious question. Simon, do you see this woman? What Jesus is doing here is an object lesson. He's saying, I have placed myself between her and you. He has turned his back on a Pharisee, a religious bigot, a self-righteous, prideful person, and he turns to a sinner, to this woman who is worshiping, boldly, honestly, humbly, and extravagantly. And he asks Simon this question, do you see this woman? And the answer is no. You have only seen who she was. Yes, you saw her come in. She made a grand dance. There's no, no doubt about it. Then in order for you to see her now, guess what, Simon? You've got to see her through me. Her accuser has to see her through Jesus. So too, your accuser, Satan himself, has to see you through Jesus. You, he has to look through Jesus. And in fact, the ultimate judge, God the Father, looks through Jesus to see you. In essence, God the Father is saying, I don't see your flops, failures, and fumbles. I don't see your past. I don't see what you've done, who you've done it with, where you did it, how often you did it. All I see is Jesus. That is the object lesson. And so Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, guess what? I am a prophet. <laughs> and I know this woman. And I know you too. 
And I just told you a story about love and forgiveness. Simon, let me ask you this question. How loving are you? You didn't wash my feet. You, you didn't dry my feet with, with anything. You didn't pour perfume on my, my, my feet. Simon, how loving are you? And Simon is coming up short. Folks, Jesus turns his back on self-righteous, religious, prideful people. He turns himself to those who worship. Sinners like you and me who worship boldly, honestly, humbly, and extravagantly. Now Simon has to look at this woman through Jesus. Today, God looks at you through Jesus. And he says this, just as Jesus said this to the woman, God, says the, of the, God the Father says this of you. Here's the result. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, I think that's what the world is hoping for. I hope that's what you and I become for this community. Don't miss August 21st. God wants to radically change our culture two to three miles from this church. This woman is transformed from an expression of worship. Can I just say this? God will never, ever turn his back on a worshiper. Never. Wherever he finds a praying heart, you will find God to be a hearing God. And notice in this story, he never calls her a sinner. Folks, sin is serious stuff, no doubt about it. Forgiveness is also serious stuff. Jesus went to the cross to forgive us of our sins. But God never calls you and I sinners. Only Pharisees do that. And he never told her, though he was a prophet, what her sin was. Why? Will you write this down? Because it's none of our business. When God forgives you of your sins, you might want to remember them and you might want to rehearse them and you might even want to tell other people the juicy details. God would just say this to you. It's none of your business. It's been forgiven and forgotten. You see, I really believe this woman, like our community, is looking for something. She was looking for hope to find true love and forgiveness and acceptance. And it was worship that transformed her.